It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. Last week, I shared on what it is to be God's elect, a name for his people that is tremendously confidence-building. And I mentioned in the last episode that the same Hebrew and Greek words that are translated elect are also translated chosen. So the two terms are synonymous. To be elect is to be chosen. To be chosen by God is to be elected by God. It means to be selected by the creator of the universe in advance, to enter a relationship with him, and to function in a specific calling. Does that mean that God ordains one group of people for heaven and another group for eternal destruction, and no one can do anything to change that? Absolutely not. And you'll understand why I answer that way more as we proceed. However, if you are among God's elect, then you are definitely foreknown by God. The word foreknowledge is found twice in Scripture, once in reference to Jesus and once in reference to us. And I want to show you the connection between the two passages of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter is preaching to a crowd of Israelite people who have come for the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and he indicts them for having rejected the Messiah. And listen to what he said in his message. Him, referring to Jesus, Yeshua, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. I want you to notice that some of the very ones he's preaching to now about their guiltiness are the very ones who were saved a little while later when they repented and were baptized. And so this is not a pronouncement of irreversible eternal doom that is inescapable for them. But listen, it says, him being delivered or handed over to the Roman authorities by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Now, there's some words in there we need to camp on. First of all, the determined purpose. In other words, a predetermined plan. The original Greek words are horizo boule. And horizo is spelled H-O-R-I-Z-O. It's the word from which we get the word horizon. The horizon is like a boundary beyond which you cannot see. And it means to mark a boundary, to appoint, to decree, to specify a limit. In other words, God put a limit on it. Were the people that crucified him puppets? Were they part of a plan and it was inescapably something they had to do? They were forced to do? No. Did the Father know they would do it? Yes. But God set bounds in advance. 
because Jesus was God's elect. In other words, the father said, you can crucify him, but you cannot break his bones. Why? Because it was prophesied that not one bone would be broken, but also had they broken his leg bones as they did the two thieves who hung on either side of him, then Jesus would have died at the will of men. He would have died of asphyxiation. He would not have been able to breathe on the cross. Instead, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. So he was a master of his situation, even in death. Now, he was delivered up by the determined purpose, the Herizo Boule, the predetermined plan of God and the foreknowledge of God. And the Greek word translated foreknowledge there is prognosis. I'm sure that's a word you're familiar with. If you happen to get sick and if you happen to go to a doctor to deal with it, you get a diagnosis that identifies the problem. And then usually you get a prognosis. And that's a declaration of what the expected outcome of that problem might be and how you should deal with it. So prognosis is insight into the future, what to expect, what should unfold. That same word is used for us. In First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote to the pilgrims of the dispersion. In other words, the believers that were scattered in all the world because of Roman persecution. And then he said in verse 2, they were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Once again, the Greek word is prognosis. They were elect, they were chosen, they were selected by God to come into a relationship with him because they were foreknown of God. And then it went on to say in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. So they were foreknown by God, but his expectation is that they walk in obedience and that they be cleansed by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not too far out for you to wrap your mind around. Some of the most powerful scriptures that deal with this concept should ring in your heart every day. Like Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. God spoke to this young man. He was probably a teenager. The way he responded, he said, I'm a child. How can I do this? God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Think of that. God knew Jeremiah before Jeremiah even knew he existed. God said, before I formed you in the womb. So God was involved in the development of that little infant's body. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I had knowledge of your giftings. I had knowledge of the passion you would have for truth. I had knowledge of the integrity that you would walk in. I had knowledge of how you could be trusted with a mantle of prophetic insight. He said, I knew you and I sanctified you. And the word sanctified has a double meaning. It can mean to be cleansed from sin. That's what it means sometimes. But it always means to be consecrated unto God for holy use. That's the way that word was used in this statement to Jeremiah. 
God said, before I formed you, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart for divine service, and I ordained you, which means I put your life in divine order. Does that mean everything he did was part of a predetermined plan, and he was just robotically moving through life and doing what he was programmed to do in advance? No, there is a mixture of the will of God and the will of man. And only God really knows where the horizon is. Only God really knows where the dividing boundary is. But God did say the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. God has a divine order for your life. That doesn't mean everything you do was preordained. But it does mean that there are footsteps in front of you. And if you make the quality decision to obey God, you will plant your foot into those footsteps that have already been laid out in front of you. God's got a plan. Your job is to align with that plan. So it's not an absolutely flawless process where God predetermines everything that you're going to do. Let me explain it to you this way. I call it the monkey factor. Yes, you heard me right. I call it the monkey factor. I'm sure every one of you would agree with me that God has given every monkey instinctive desire to eat bananas. But does God predetermine or predestine that monkey to eat a banana every time he does? to eat it a certain way, to hold it in his hand at a certain angle, to eat it at a certain time of the day. Is all of that pre-planned? No. Within the framework of a predestination of instinctive behavior is the freedom of personal choice, even with a monkey. God in advance ordained, predestined, that that monkey swing on vines from tree to tree and have a natural ability to do so. But does he predetermine every time he'll reach out for a vine to start swinging? No. He gives him the ordination of the particular kind of way he can travel through the jungle, but then leaves it up to the individual will of the animal to function according to those abilities those God-planted abilities within him. And as it is with the monkey, so it is with you. And there's other examples I can use. If you mention the word predestined, sometimes people get nervous, and yet it is a biblical word. The word predestined, which is very much related to the word elect, is found only four times in the New Testament. Just four times. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 is one of the most powerful verses. It says that God has predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So God decided he was going to have offspring, a family that he would be united with for eternity and he predestined you to adoption as a son of God. Is that so hard to believe? Well, it was true in the natural. Your 
father and your mother made a decision that they were going to have children and you were the result, physically speaking. God decided he wanted children and you were the result. And there's some symbolic things in the human body that I can appeal to right now that really paint a picture of what predestination and divine election are all about. For instance, in your natural body, well, in the genes, in the chromosomes, in the fertilized egg in your mother's womb, there was a predetermined plan that you would have a certain color hair, that you would have a certain color of eyes, and that you would have a certain maximum height potential. Now, if it was in the genes for you to have blue eyes, then you can wish your whole life you had brown eyes, but you have no input there. You may have been born with brown hair and all your life wished that you were a blonde, but you can't be a blonde. And don't defy me in your spirit right now, ladies. Yes, you can dye it, but the roots come out eventually. The real you surfaces. Well, what about your height? Jesus said, no man by taking thought can add to his stature one cubit, and a cubit is about a foot and a half. He said, no one, just by making a decision, the will of man, can decide he's going to be taller. I know, I happen to know that personally because I tried. Right now, I'm five foot eight and a half inches. When you're down at this level, you claim every half inch you can. But when I was a youngster, I was always the shortest in my class or very close to being the shortest in my class. And I heard Michael Landon, that actor that played a part on Bonanza, very popular program back then. I think I'm dating myself. And he happened to mention in this interview that he was always the shortest in his class, but that he would go in a closet and stretch and think his way to being tall. And so you should have seen me stretching in the closet to become six foot tall like Michael Landon, but it didn't work for me. Jesus said there's a boundary, and the genes in the fertilized egg dictated that I could only be five foot eight and a half inches. However, even though I have absolutely no control over my height, I have full control over my girth or the width of my waist area. I can add numerous inches there, and so can you. Don't get depressed now by thinking about it. But within the same human body, there's a certain element that you have no control over and another element you have full control over, and it's a mixture between the two. And so it is in life as a whole. You may be one of God's elect, but that does not throw the whole responsibility on God. There's an input that you have to have. In fact, I love Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. I'd love to preach on those steps toward perfection. But anyway, you go read it, Second Peter chapter 1. And then he said, for if these things are in you, if these things are yours and they abound, 
you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now here's the key verse, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Make your calling, that's the specific purpose that's been planted in your life. And your election, that's the predetermined plan that included you. Make your calling and election sure. How do you do that? By a willful response of consecration and discipleship and devotion to God, and by doing so, you come into alignment with what you're elected to accomplish. And so there is a mixture of what God predetermines and what you determine in your response to God's hand being laid on your life. It's amazing. It's an amazing mixture of the two. I told you that this name for God's people is tremendously confidence-building. And I have no better way of illustrating that than to talk about the fact that Jesus was referred to as God's elect in the Old Testament. In a messianic prophecy, he was referred to that way. And if Jesus was God's chosen one, the Messiah, to bring salvation, to take upon himself the curse, to face death, to face the grave, to face hell, to face all the persecution and opposition that he went through, and yet he overcame it all, then divine election is inseparable from grace. Let me give you another scripture before I proceed any further. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. That's an important verse for you to remember. It talks about how God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So God gave you a purpose, but God gave you grace to fulfill that purpose as well. God gave you grace to go through every valley, grace to climb over every mountain, grace to recover from every failure, grace to walk over every enemy that opposes you. And in like manner, Jesus being God's elect, he was elected, he was chosen by God to face off with the devil, to face off with death, the curse of death, some total corporately for the whole human race. He tasted death for every man, but there was a divine election behind him, like a bullet going through a piece of wood that's unstoppable and it breaks out the other side. So his soul pushed through the curse of death the sum total of the curse that should have swallowed up the whole human race and burst out on the other side because the election of God in him was stronger than the opposition outside of him. And the same is true for you. And that's not all. After he died on the cross, he went down into the lower parts of the earth to preach the gospel to the dead. He was elected to do that, and he had the grace to accomplish that, to rescue a certain number from the underworld. And then three days after his death, I'm sure that everyone who witnessed the crucifixion thought that his 
condition was beyond recovery. And yet three days later, he came forth from the grave. The stone rolled away. He conquered death for everyone who would trust in his name because death had to loose its hold. It could not hold. It was impossible for it to hold him. Peter preached on that because he was elected to overcome this adversary of the human race, and he had the grace to do it. So I said all of that to say this, if Jesus, the firstborn son of God, the elect prototype for every other elect person before or after, then if he could pass through death and pass through the underworld and pass through the grave and pass through the curse and come out victorious the other side, I don't care what tries to swallow you up. I don't care what tries to kill you mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Child of God, you're going to come out victorious because you're divinely elected and you've got the grace of God in advance to succeed and to prosper and to overcome and to champion the truth in this world successfully. I've faced death or what should have been my death 10 times since I was born into this world. Some of those times it was really critical. I've had a knife held to my neck. I have been shot at. I had a gang of radical Hindus storm a platform in India. Their intention was to beat me up, tie me to the bumper of their car, and then drag me through the city. And they ended up getting saved that night because they witnessed a miracle that was undeniable, a series of miracles. And it wasn't my time to go. If you are one of God's elect, you can fearlessly walk through life because you know you're chosen for such a time as this, and you know nothing is going to take you out of this world until the appointed time. There's a boundary. Just like God set a boundary around the Son of God, so there's a boundary around you. And the enemy can spit and sputter and plot against you, but the plot of Satan against you is weak in the face of the plan of God that is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Now, we are living in tumultuous times. And yet, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about the last days. And three separate times, he referred to his people who would be in the world in the last days as the elect. Those that were chosen to stand for the truth, when there was great opposition to it, those who were chosen to represent him in this world, those that because they were chosen would be graced to overcome whatever they face. During the increasing darkness that is coming on this generation, but you should be fearless. Who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. So what if the political realm is going crazy with all kinds of duplicity and dishonesty and lack of integrity and plots and plans to subvert our democracy in the United States of America. And it's so important for us to fight to keep our freedom here because as the United States goes, so goes the world. Those who have devised plans against us know that 
They know if they can subvert the United States and bring it under a socialistic, communistic banner, then the rest of the world will be like dominoes falling. See, we live in tough times, but you and I are chosen. We are elected from the foundation of the world, just like Jeremiah. In fact, he said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you came out of your mother's womb, I ordained you. He had a specific calling for a specific time to accomplish a specific purpose, and he had the grace to do it. And so do you. Now, when the disciples asked Jesus about the last days in Matthew 24, he said that there would be false prophets arise and false teachers, and they would show great signs and wonders, insomuch that they would deceive the very elect, if it were possible. Meaning that it's not possible. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 11. He talked about how Elijah told God, I'm the only one left. They've killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I'm, I'm the only one left and they seek my life. What was God's response to him? He said, I have reserved 7,000 men to myself who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And then Romans chapter 11, verse 5 says, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, there is a group of people who will not be swayed by the new age spirituality that is saturating our culture and by the false gods and false religions and the false signs and wonders that will be performed by false teachers. They're not going to be deceived because if you're among that remnant, you've got grace to understand the truth and to unravel all the deceptions of the enemy. So there's nothing to fear. Also, also in Matthew 24, verse 22, Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so God is going to stop the progress of what satanic powers are trying to accomplish in the last days because he's going to shelter and protect his elect people. The first vision that God gave me at the very beginning of my walk with God, I saw the last days. I saw hundreds of men and women in a major city like New York City or Chicago. I was walking down the street. They were rolling and writhing in the street because of sores appearing all over their body. But I looked down the road and there I was and the man who won me to the Lord and we were clothed with the Shekinah glory of God. And whatever this condition was that had gripped the people, it had no power over us. The glory of God emanated from us. And I was reminded of Isaiah 61, Arise, shine, for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you because darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but his glory shall be seen on you. And then finally, Matthew 24, verse 31, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
And so that moment will come when the shofar is blown and the dead in Christ shall rise on the last day of this age. And we which are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we will be his welcoming committee, welcoming the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords back into this world. And we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be there with him in the end. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.